Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 Welcome along to the latest Forever Blue podcast and uh, it's a delight to do these podcasts at the moment because City are playing arguably the best football that they've ever played. Um, I've been watching City a long, long time, but the first half at Aston Villa, the first half at Watford, uh, obviously I'm not, I'm not saying they were terrible in the other halves, but... Those first halves were just absolutely amazing. Um, as ever, I'd like to thank, uh, in a big way, charleslouis.co.uk, Chartered Mortgage Advisors, and a lot more. Uh, they do everything to do with buying and selling, whether it's commercial, whether it's private, uh, and they will give you advice on how to get a mortgage. And we're on certain times at the moment, so the good people to speak to, uh, the, the, the trustworthy, uh, the people I know, so give them a shout. Have a look at the website, charleslouis.co.uk, and you'll see a phone number on there. They're based in the Berry area, <clears throat> the Berry area of Greater Manchester. But it doesn't matter where you are in the country. I'm sure they'll try and help you with advice at the very least. So thanks very much to those guys for supporting uh, this podcast. And thanks very much for everybody who contributes. Uh, like Mark Lillis, the City striker. Uh, well, obviously former City striker these days, but uh, City legend, uh, blue through and through. Um, from being born to the moment we're speaking to him today, couldn't be more blue. So thanks very much to Mark for giving up his time to come on the podcast. We've also got Tony, who uh, supported me for a long time through his company, Hot Click Marketing. We hope that's doing well now with the other side of, well, the other side of at least the first stage of the pandemic, which is uh, obviously still going on. But um, Tony's a, a great friend now and a, and a good city supporter as well. And Amy, who... Um, is a big, if you didn't know this already, Sergio Aguero fan. Uh, so she's in mourning because he's gone. Uh, and obviously, um, in all seriousness, we, we wish him all the best now with his uh, heart condition and, and his hopefully full recovery. Um, so thanks very much to the three of you for joining me. Uh, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Um, and basically, you can just wax lyrical about Bernardo Silva to begin with, if you want, because this guy's become... Um, a phenomenon. I've always been a big fan. I've got to admit that I started watching the the, the game in Monaco, um, expecting City to perhaps be interested in Benjamin Mendy because there are a lot of rumours about that. And I came back from those two games against uh, Monaco thinking, I'm not so sure about Mendy, but I'd definitely go for that Bernardo Silva. And, and he wasn't the one I was looking at. I thought, what an absolute phenomenon he is. Now, He's had ups and downs, he's had off patches and everything, but at the moment he is going through the most purple of purple patches, is he not, Mark? 100%, yeah. Just before that, I'm not sure about the legend. <laughs> I only played 50-odd games to City. I think I scored about 15 goals, but thanks for that anyway. But we've got legends like Belly and all them, some of Marsh, Lee, Young. So, uh, no... But Listen, Bernardo, Mark, just before you carry on about Bernardo, legend isn't just about how many games you've played. It's about playing from the heart. And okay. no matter how many games you've played, you played 100% from the heart. You did what we all want to do. We played for the club that we love. That in my book, you, you know, you can say legend is misused. You are a legend to me. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I can still keep them memories uh, in my head now of running out of the kickbacks on my debut and my mum and dad and all my family being there and my mates in the kickbacks from school were there. So, yeah, great memories and, and I'm proud to be uh, wearing this as well. Uh, but, um, no, going back to Bernardo, um, 
he looks a fantastic guy. He looks like, as a manager, he looks like one of them players that you want in, in the dressing room. He doesn't have a moan up. He doesn't whisper in. He's not that. He just wants to go and play. And he's one of them, I think, if he plays and the next game he doesn't get in the starting 11, he won't, he won't moan. He won't have a moan around. He'll just get on with it. He'll be sat on the bench and when he comes on, he'll do his best. But some of the stuff he's been doing lately, I mean, obviously I played for Villa um, many, many years ago. And for him to score that volley, we were talking about before we come on air, to make that decision, when that ball leaves the winger's foot, to make that decision that you're going to open your foot, you're going to, you're going to volley it into the net, and it's just unbelievable. And that is a that is a tough, tough, tough decision to make. And he and he absolutely nailed it. It's unbelievable. What is it about him that makes him special? I mean, in my eyes, it's the well, there's a lot of things, but his energy and his pressing, leading the press is just phenomenal, isn't it? I think you know when he leads the press, he goes round like he's running after it. It's like a dog in the park, he's running after his, his ball, the ball that the his uh, fellas uh, talk, but he just runs round, so he, he goes like this until, and then everyone goes, but he's bought into the way the Peps want and everyone to play, but he knows his decision-making is 100%, and he knows what he's going to do with the ball. And the thing, the good thing about City at the, at the minute, everyone knows what each other's going to do with the ball in, the, in certain areas of the field, and that's so, if you can get that into a team, you, you, you've got a chance of winning... Winning every every game, maybe, but um, no, he's. Uh, I love the guy. There was a long period of time where City fans were saying that when Phil Foden emerged and went into the first team, that he might become the new David Silva. Um, I would suggest that if Phil Foden uh, develops into the player that everybody hopes and thinks he will be, that actually Bernardo Silva is as good an example as anything because um, Phil Foden has that instant control uh, and ability. Um, if he can tap into the energy levels and vision and use the skills that he undoubtedly has and become the new, <laughs> the, the additional, not the new, the additional Bernardo Silva, that's going to be some uh, some player as well, isn't it? It's going to be, yeah, but to me, players like Phil Foden will become Phil Foden. You know, he's not going to get named after um, Bernardo or, or any other players. Phil Foden, in the next years or two, will become Phil Foden. You know that's that's the way it is, and and uh, it is another one that um, I just think I just think he's great. He's a local lad. He, he still gets told off, I believe. He tries to play in the streets with his mates, just having a kick about, and that's that's brilliant. It was a, obviously not a bit like me because I, I couldn't play like Phil, but I used to do that when I when I played. I wanted to go play in the streets and everything uh, in in Manchester, but um, no, it's uh, it's it's looking good at the minute, Cheesy for City. I've watched the last couple of games, watched the Villa game, uh, watched the highlights yesterday, um, and it's uh, it's it's looking good. And especially, obviously, uh, kicking off yesterday at five was it five thirty, and um, knowing that if we get a win, we go on the top. But you know, it's like Pep said, we're not bothered about that. We've just got to make sure we look after every game, take one game at a time. And if that win yesterday takes you to the top of the league, so be it. Just one more thing on Bernardo before I bring in uh, Tony and Amy. Um, Bernardo was famously pictured when Liverpool were the, the champions, um, holding a cup of coffee and stood very nonchalantly in the line. And he has a, a, an amazing character um, and 
and I've very briefly met him, and he's, he seems extremely humble, but but with a sort of cheekiness about him. Uh, I, I can't imagine that you can give me the definitive answer to this, but now that we've seen him develop into the player that he's become, I think that was a conscious decision. I mean, we all like to think it was, um, but is the, do you think there's that little bit of cheekiness about him that, that, that might even add to the quality of him as a player? Yeah, 100%, I do, yeah. He's got that tw twinkle in his eye and that, and yeah, he's, but he's, he'll, he'll, he'll always be like that. He'll always, even when he comes out of football, he's been the same guy. He's, he's, he's got character and that, and uh, it, they're great to have in your squad players like that. They're fantastic. Let's uh, let's get the views then of the, the other two who are with us today. Um, Tony, um, tell me what you you think about Bernardo at the moment. Let's let's wax lyrical about him for a bit because he's he's blowing me away. I can't deny it. No, no, no. Um, I really think he is. Um, and we said it time and time again on here, I think, with regards to Bernardo. Um, he's probably one of the most worldwide, anyway, underrated players. Um, he's obviously rated by us a lot of City fans who see him week in, week out. Um, we, I think it was 2019 season, was it? Where, again, he had this incredible season when De Bruyne was out um, and came in and took that mantle and just showed everybody in the world what he could do. I think if he was at another club, he probably would have had uh, two or three Ballon d'Ors by now. Um, I just think that we're so lucky to have him um, and he's scoring phenomenal goals at the moment. Um, even the one yesterday, kind of, it was at an angle that potentially a lot of players wouldn't be able to do. I think Sergio used to have a knack for those angles um, and a lot of players tend to hit the side netting or completely go the opposite way and pass the far post wide. Um, again, Bernardo, he's just got that ability to do it. Uh, and like Mark said, his work rate will always endear him to any fan. Um, you know, we have we have players like Pablo, where they're just heart on the sleeve and they'll run and they will literally go for every challenge and chase that ball, um, which is what every fan wants to see. No fan wants to kind of see the player just kind of walking back slowly and kind of quite nonchalantly. We all want to see the players have that passion, chase that ball, and Bernardo has it in abundance. And for not just his work rate, but to have the skill and the ability as well, I think, yeah, we're watching something special. One thing that blows me away is that Mark alluded to it before. Um, I remember watching Colin Bell, and when he scored a goal, um, he would just sort of trot back to the halfway line and maybe just put his hand up briefly. And, and I watched Bernardo yesterday after he'd scored his first goal, which was at the end I was at, the, the away end at Watford. And I know it wasn't a spectacular one, but he did pretty much the same thing. And I've never seen him sort of really leap about and, and go look at me and spread his arms and all that. It, it, he's, he's got such a teamwork ethic. I mean, it, he typifies what Pep's side is all about, doesn't he? Yeah, and that's his humbleness as well. I think that's his ego or lack of. I think that shows his character, which is what you were alluding to earlier, really. Um, just to kind of spin this on its head a little bit, um, the commentators were saying, I was at home watching it yesterday, uh, about that he thrives without De Bruyne. Can Silva and De Bruyne play in the same squad? Hmm, that is an interesting question. I mean, obviously, De Bruyne came on later on in the game. What, what do you think? Um, it depends. I think, yes, they can, but a lot of it depends on Pep for me. It depends where he plays him because what we've seen in the past with Bernardo is he's been pushed out to the right when De Bruyne has been playing centrally. And we've seen Bernardo Fries playing kind of centrally or that false line position. And I think you can play them both, but they just both need to be in that kind of central position, really. 
um, rather than force one out to the right or one out to the left. Um, so, yes, I do think they can, but I just don't think we've seen the best of them in the same squad. We'll perhaps come back to that question in a few minutes. Uh, let me unleash Amy now to wax lyrical about Bernardo. I mean, your player was Sergio Aguero. I'm wondering if, um, you know, a certain little uh, Portuguese midfielder that might now be claiming the mantle. Oh, I, I, I'm not just Sergio fan. I might go on a lot about Sergio, but there has been players before Sergio. <laughs> um, no, he um, is absolutely brilliant. Um, and I also want to say about Cancelo as well. Um, he's been absolutely brilliant too. Um, we've, we're very lucky. We've got some amazing players at our team. We're, we're very, very lucky, um, especially from, you know, we've... Uh, how far we've come and stuff. Um, but yeah, you he just he just seems to know exactly where to to go and he sees things before it happens. A bit like Kevin De Bruyne does, to be honest. He he's he sees like the the little pass from Phil and he was just in there straight away. Um but yeah, he um he's he's just doing really, really well and so is Cancelo. They both like have really picked up the game and they're both doing really, really well. You've actually seen people compare um Bernardo, and this is always a hard one to accept. I don't mean that it's wrong. What I mean is that when people make this comparison, it doesn't have to put a bit of pressure on you, but because of his amazing close control, and he showed a couple of examples of that at, at the end I was at at Watford, um, he's been compared to Messi, you know, because he can sort of wriggle through these little these little gaps and everything. And, and I wonder, I mean, he's, he's still relatively young, um, whether, whether he could end up being, you know, the best player in the world. I mean, I interviewed a on the vlog that I do, um, a guy called Mark Stein, who is an American journalist, but a lifelong City fan, uh, works for the New York Times and all sorts of other things. And and he asked that question right at the end, you know, is there a better player in the world at the moment? And if we if we accept that, which City fans probably do more than Ronaldo, think that Messi is the best player in the world, it is is Bernardo, Amy, and, and this is where you look into your crystal ball. Is he heading in the right direction to be right up there with Messi? Thing is, though, our players don't get the credit they deserve. So we, us as City fans, would say, yeah, he's better than Messi or no, he's not or whatever. But our players don't get... Look at, this, look at the Ballon d'Or, for instance. How many of our players were in that list? Like, we just don't, you know, how many times has Sergio not, you know, never got his credit? Literally, you could do anything in the world. And I think if we'd won the Champions League, would we have, would one of our players have been, have been, you know, have beat Messi or beat Ronaldo or beat Lewandowski? You know, and that, that's what annoys me. You don't, we don't get the, the credit that our players deserve and, I would say that, you know, Messi's obviously like the set, like he's in his like what? He's like 33, isn't he? Um, and yeah, Messi is that. I mean, when I went to Barcelona, literally every, when you go in the pubs and the football's on, every other word is Messi. Literally, like, no, they don't mention anybody else but Messi. And like, he is brilliant. He, he's a thing. And I would like to say that, yeah, Bernardo would be better than. Than Messi, but he's not going to get the credit he deserves. 
because none of us, none of the players do. I wonder, Mark, I mean, you might be able to answer this as a, as a former player, whether the way you carry yourself, you know, off and on the field uh, in terms of, you know, exhibitionism um, actually contributes to being recognised for these individual awards. I mean, when, when you were a player in your era, were the players who were picking up the awards the ones who drew attention to themselves? Or is it possible to be fairly, you know, modest and in, in the way that you, you approach the celebrations and off the field and still win these awards? Or have you got to be a sort of exhibitionist? I think it's what you, with the awards, I think it's what you do on the field. But for me, at, the, at this present time, he's better than Messi. He's producing. He's creating goals and he's scoring. The one he scored at Watford, the first one, if you watch that, usually players shoot across the goal. But he's had a little glance at the keeper and he knows there's a gap there. So he's thinking, I can get this goal. I can, get, I can go through that gap. And uh, it was so difficult as a player to, to do that. To actually execute that, that goal he scored. A lot of people think, oh, it's just a bit of a goal, wasn't it? That was a fantastic goal. It was, I'm saying it's similar to the volley at Villa, but he's gone through there and he could have, like uh, the guy was saying before, he could have been a side netting. But like I said at the minute, I think he's better than Messi. How do City produce these performances? Is it all down to Pep consistently, so brilliantly, um, with so many personnel changes as well. How do they do it? Pep, for me, Pep seems to turn people into different players. They're still <laughs> the same player, but they've got they've got something. Like, there's something about Jack at the minute. Jack Grealish now. People are saying, "Oh, he's not scored. He's not done this." Another get this season, and he'll be he'll be he'll be flying because that's the way. I don't know how he does it. Pep does it. I wish you. I, I wish you. I would because uh, it's fantastic what he does. But we, we all seem to know what we're going to do with the ball and who's going to be. And they must do it every day in training. So um, it, at the minute, um, it's, it's been fantastic to be, to be a City fan, to be truthful. You know, we've had some great uh, teams over the years, but uh, at the moment, the football they're producing and people saying, oh, the second half wasn't that good. They've done all the work in the first half. They've just they'll manage the game in the second half and we come away with three points again. So um, we know as City fans that we're never going to get all the press with us and all that, but we're not bothered because we produce and we win things. So um, let's just, let's just keep smiling. It's great. Well, it certainly is. I mean, you, you've, you, you're a successful coach as well as being a an ex-player, um, you, did you ever sit and actually try and work it out? And, and is it possible to take players of lesser ability but still play the pet way? It's difficult in the lower leagues, you know. It's, the, it's that decision-making that the players have to... Once they go on, Pep said it before, once they go on to that pitch, he can't do, he can't do anything then. He can, so he can talk on the, on the touchline or shout on the touchline. But then players... The elite players at the top make the right decisions at the right time. I've always said that. And their decision-making is unbelievable. And that's difficult to get into players. You know, you've got to trust in them. You've got to respect them. But at the minute, he's got a, he's got a group. He's got a group. And it's difficult as a coach to manage the group and keep everybody happy. Because, you know, this, you look at the suspense and the players that we've got on, but you look at it, there's no one, there's no one sulking on there. 
they're all raring to go to get on the pitch and want to play a part to play for Man City. And that's what that's what it's all about. How does he achieve that then? Because you know the the <clears throat> undoubtedly will have egos. Um everybody has an ego. I have an ego, you have an ego. You all want to be loved, you all want to be valued. How does he keep a player like Alexander Sinchenko, for example, who's a Ukraine international? In fact, I'm pretty sure he's a captain now. How does he keep him so happy that he, he misses so many games, but then eventually when he comes into a game, he looks like he's not missed a minute and he's absolutely at the tempo, absolutely on it, absolutely doing everything he needs to do. How, how do you achieve that as a coach? Do I trust and respect you, Cheesy? I hope so. <laughs> do you trust and respect me? 100%. Well, there we go. We're, we're on a good thing. And that's what he does. As, and as a player, and as a coach, if you can trust your manager and respect him and know that he believes in you, happy days. And that's that's what I try to take into my coaching. I was, I'm more of a coach that I don't I don't roll it players. I don't I'll take them aside when when it needs me. And you get to know the players, you get to know the ones who need an arm round, you get to ones, but if you get that trust and respect. You've got, you know, Pep's got that in abundance, and he's got a great. He'll have a great manner with the with the players, and they'll trust and respect him. And yeah, when you're not playing, you're sat on the sat on the, in the touchline, or you're a substitute, and you've not got on. He keeps them happy. He, he'll he'll have a little word in their ear when they're going home to the family that obviously they didn't play a part in the three points, but you know he'll give them a little word in the ear, saying, "Hey, don't worry, I trust in you. You're going to play a big fat part of big path." Um, in the season, so don't your time will come. Your time will come, and when you when it comes, take it, take it. Then you'll show me that I believe in you and trust in you, and, and that's how it'll be. I think that's only my opinion. You're a businessman, Tony, and you've obviously had to manage staff. Um, is there anything you can take out of what Mark's saying and how Pep handles people to to get the best out of your people? Um, I think. For me, I think it's the assumption that they're happy. Um, I don't think that any player is genuinely happy when they're sat on the bench. I think that drums it into them that it's a team game and that, you know, we've got so many games across the season. Um, you will get your turn. But I think that they need that unhappiness as well within them to then go out on the pitch and show what they've got, yeah. prove themselves to say, well, look, you should have picked me. Because without that, if you're happy sat on the bench, for me, you don't have that hunger and desire. So I think that Yes, they're happy to be part of the squad, but I don't think any player is unhappy is happy to be left out of the match day squad. And we've seen it with Sterling, where earlier on this uh, season he was being left out. Grealish was playing a lot more than whatever else. Grealish got his knock. Sterling came in, and luckily in the last couple of games he's been phenomenal for us, uh, Sterling. And he's scoring, he's assisting, he's making the right moves, um, and he's now saying to Pep, "Well, look, I deserve to stay." And he has done. He stayed in the match squad because he's proved himself. But he knows as soon as his form dips in the next game, somebody else will get the nod. And if they prove themselves, they're on the up. So it's very much about having the right squad and having the players there with the hunger and the desire to prove their worth, not just to Pep, but to the fans and the team, really. Um, and I also think it's down to unity and having a group of players that get on with each other. So you don't necessarily have the ego of, well, hang on, I'm this big I am, you lot should do what I say. It's about the collective. And without that kind of collective 
mission of going to win this title, that title, and the other, and all driving for the same goal. If you've just got one player that's there saying, I'm here for me, I want to get man of the match, I want to get this because of my advertising, my revenue, they inevitably are going to just kind of mess up the harmony of the squad, really. Um, and then that's where you see things start to fall apart. We've had it in the past with egos. We see it, you know, across other teams where players have got egos. And I think this touches on the Bernardo Silva thing where he doesn't necessarily get the praise and the awards and a lot of City players don't because if he was missing out of the squad, another player would step up. When Messi's missing out of the squad, you know Messi's missing out of the squad and they don't have that collective that will step up. And I think that's also one of the reasons we get overlooked amongst other reasons anyway, in terms of the awards as well. You make a lot of good points. I don't know if this is a forced uh, perspective I'm going to throw at Amy now, but... Obviously, um, you could argue in your job you manage children. Um, is it the same? Do you have to do you have to get, get their respect? And is that a part of the way that you keep control? I mean, it might not be quite the same as football, but there probably is a similarity of sorts, isn't there? Uh, yeah, toddlers have egos. Um, yeah, obviously, I, I'm I'm like a room, I'm room leader of my of my room. So obviously I have like a deputy under me and then we have like the rest of the staff. Um, but children, uh, they rule the roost. Like there's no doubt about it. Um, and like a lot, of, a lot of the kids come from a house where they can do exactly what they want. Then when they come to nursery and they've got to deal with rules and regulations, they're all like, nah, like I can't cope with that. Um, so yeah, no, it's the same. You have you have to deal with like a lot. You know, you'll have the children who are calm as like an old shoe, and you won't hear a peep out of them. Then you have the others who are just like up there all the time. Um, so yeah, you do have to. Do it is the same. It is exactly you have to deal with different individuals because we are all different and we all have our own individuality. And uh, yeah, no, I, I can imagine looking after City players is the same as looking after toddlers. I really can. Footballers, uh, <laughs> I don't suppose Mark will agree with this, because he's a footballer, but, you know, they are big kids really, aren't they, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I'm just chuckling now. Obviously, I've got grandchildren uh, now, and uh, some of the stuff that they come up to you with, and some of the, the way they, they, they... Why? Why are you asking to challenge it? It's challenging, yeah. the kids challenging, yeah. you know, they ask why, and you'll know that. Yeah, you you, you say, you, you answer why quite a lot of the time, like literally why or no is like the, the words that they know straight. I think no is their first word they learn, but that's our fault because we say it to them, it's the first word they learn. So they learn to say it back to you and then you're annoyed with them for saying no then, but it's your fault that they're saying no. So I when, think that's... Pep, when Pep, Pep, what, sorry, what, sorry, Tony, when Pep says to uh, Jack Grealish, right, you're playing at centre-forward today, you think his first word is, no, no. no. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Go on, Tony, what were you going to say? And I think that's part of Pep's man of management, really, because um, a big part of modern-day football, anyway, is that the players from a young age are handed a lot of things on a plate, 
you know, in terms of um, how they're looked after, how they're managed. You know, you don't necessarily have what I would class as the old school footballer where coming through the ranks, you'd clean the first team's boots or, you know, there'd be that kind of mentality. Whereas now it's you're coming through the ranks, you're going from one squad to the other. There isn't necessarily that humbleness to start you. That's grounded in your home and your family life. Um, and Pep manages those people and those egos. I think that's part of our recruitment process as well, is to scout the player, uh, not just necessarily his football qualities, but his mentality as well. And they do try and kind of get those players without those egos so that they can be part of the Pep style. Whereas I think if you've got, and this is one of the reasons I was very surprised about the Ronaldo rumours early in the summer, was because he didn't strike me as a Pep player. It was always about the Ronaldo show. Whereas Pep always kind of shies away from those kind of players and wants the players that are going to play for the team. And he manages those egos and kind of the modern day footballer very well. And I think that, managers of old would struggle a lot of the time with a modern day footballer and likewise with you know Pep going back 20 years would probably struggle with those egos because it is a different skill set that you need to manage the modern day footballer really. One of the thing, questions I've probably asked in the podcast to various people before is about how they actually watch football and <clears throat> this isn't a judgment thing it's just that everybody watches it differently obviously Mark as a as a former player and as a coach, you'll work, watch it in a certain way. And this is not meant in any way disparagingly, but Amy, you might watch it in your way. It might be all about emotion. I don't know, you tell me in a minute, but I, when I watch it, I'm quite studious, uh, even though I'm not an ex-player or an ex-manager. And actually probably look quite serious when I'm stood there watching the game because I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely, and especially at the moment, I'm glued to every pass. And a couple of you have mentioned about decision-making and City players make, I, I, I'm absolutely, honestly mesmerised by the fact that the players always seem to make the right decision. So I'm really, really focused when I'm watching a game. And I see a player get the ball and I think, what's he going to do with it? And in that split second, even though the opposition might have, have closed them down from the side that they weren't expecting or something like that, they always seem to make the right decision. So there's a couple of questions here. I'm going to ask Mark about how you teach somebody to make those split-second decisions, but also whether, you know, you as a fan, Amy, and you as a fan, Tony, whether you whether you're led more when you watch a football match by the emotion of the moment and the, the whole thing that happens around you, or whether you're like me watching it, you know, really, really intently, which, let's face it, if everybody was like me in the ground, the ground would probably be silent and have no atmosphere. So I'm really delighted that other people watch it in another way. But I'm so transfixed by watching this minutiae of what happens. How do you watch it, Amy? Uh, I think I've said before, I'm like a little bulldog. I, I get quite aggressive. Um, but then there'll be times where I'll just sit and uh, watch how, like, they'll lose the ball and within seconds they've got it back. Like, and just little, like, obviously I used to do ballroom and Latin American dancing. So I know it's like I watch how they do the little touches with the feet. So like I was one with Cancelo and he'd literally just gone round with some gone round someone and he just passed the ball through his feet like nutmeg did and then he'd gone back round again and it was like it was like watching dancing and it was just like so I watch it for little tricks, things like that, but I am I do get aggressive. I do start shouting a lot. What, so what a great... 
it, it's a good job I'm sat where I'm sat because I think I'd get like kicked out. I think <laughs> that's a really great insight. So, so do, you, do you think that footballers would all, all almost automatically become good dancers because of yeah, the, the fleet of like, foot? Yeah, definitely. I think like a lot of them like should learn ballroom dancing. I think that would help as well. Like it's just intricate little moves. Like yeah, they should all be on Strictly or something. I don't know, but yeah, like just little tiny little like details of how they pass the ball is very much like dancing. You, you, it's the way you put your feet and things. So, so how do you watch the game, Tony? Are you like the bulldog that is Amy, or are you like the the, the students like I am? Um. Bit of a mixture, really. I think it depends where I'm watching it as well. Um, so whether I'm watching it at home or whether I'm at the game. Obviously, home games I'm generally at the game, and uh, away games I'm watching from home. Um, and from my seat in the ground, I've got quite a good view in terms of being able to see the overview of the game. Um, and I do get swept up in the passion of it. But then there will be times where I'll watch it and kind of go, "Oh, well, where's he playing today? Where's that doing today?" And I think it's a bit of a mixture. But for me, the overriding watching it would probably be emotion. Um, but then, you know, I do notice what's going on in terms of tactically as well. But I think a lot of the players in terms of how they know what to do is coaching. And this is why sometimes we all, we've said on here in the past that it takes a player a season to bed into the pet way because it takes him a season to coach and drill into him with his coaches, etc. where to be when they don't have the ball, where to be where they do have the ball. Because we've worked Liverpool earlier today with regards to Bernardo Silva, but with that second goal, what we don't mention is Gundogan and leaving that ball. So many players would have took that ball then because it was right in front of him and had a shot or tried to square it. Whereas he was so pivotal in leaving that for Bernardo to go and get that run round him, get it and put it in the net. That that's decision making and that is drilled into him as a player. And under any other manager or any other coaches that are there, I reckon he would have took that ball. Whereas I think it is down to who we've got in the backroom staff that this happens and that's why they are how they are. It comes down to the decision making, Mark. So, you know, when you talk about the player, I mean, I, hope, I assume you agree that when a player gets the ball in this current City team, almost, almost every single time in any situation, every player seems to make the right decision. And that's the most amazing thing about this team. How do you teach that? You've got to do it every day, but when I go to watch City, I look for the end product. When when we're making these passes, it might take us three three passes to get through and score a goal. It might take us four, five, ten, fifteen. But I, I go for, for the end product. But um, it, sometimes as well, it's just just natural in them. They've got it in them. They can see things. You know, going back before um, about tap dancing, going into taking players into dancing. I remember being academy manager at Huddersfield and we started taking the boys to boxing, but not boxing one against one. It was more sparring and the movement. And a guy, a young player called Philip Billing, he plays at Bournemouth. Um, he didn't want to do it. He, he said, it's why, why am I doing this? I said, it'll help your feet. It'll help because you, you, you can move your feet quicker and show. And um, the lads bought into it, the young players there at Huddersfield. And... Uh, it improved a lot, a lot, a lot of players. So, yeah, I think there's more that it's not just about having the ball every day. There's other things that they can do and uh, and uh, and that's important as well. But um, going back to the decision-making, you know, the City players, looking at the Premier League now, we've got the best decision-makers, I believe, in the league. 
I think the, if I'm, I was speaking to uh, Stuart Brennan yesterday for the Manchester Evening News because I travelled to, to and from the game with him and he said he interviewed after the match the uh, Watford goalkeeper who and he asked him to compare City, uh, City and uh, Chelsea because obviously Watford had played them and he said, um, well the way he reported it back to me was that there was no comparison between the two teams and, and decision making I'm sure was, was a big part of that. Uh, when I when I was watching the first half at Villa on Wednesday night, I know some City fans will say, don't tempt fate, don't say things like this. But as I'm watching that first half at Villa, which blew me away, uh, that was the moment in my mind that I thought City are going to win the don't league this it. year. Don't They're going to win the league this year. Did you think <laughs> Did you think that? Don't, are, you, are you frightened of me saying it, Tony? Yeah, I'm uh, just writing this down so I can blame you at the end of the season, just in case. <laughs> Did you know, does nobody else have those types of thoughts? I mean, I'm, 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 I did a vlog yesterday and I hope people have watched it on YouTube and I, and I was sat having something to eat in, in Watford Town Centre after the trip down and there were two City fans sat near me. Uh, it's just a complete coincidence, father and son. And, um, you know, and, I, and I talked to them and I thought that they're so typical of, of sort of City fans, you know, so humble and the... the you know, despite the fact that we're playing the way we are, despite what I'm thinking about what happened in the first half at Villa and how awesome City were, and obviously, let's not forget, City have gone top now as a result of this weekend, um, and, and to me, just hitting the stride. Despite all that, they were they were very modest and very humble, and, you know, while it'd be a difficult game at Watford, and I'm actually thinking, yeah, I get that, and I, and I like to be humble, and I like to be... Um, you know, not not be too sort of over the top about these things, but equally, when you you see the evidence in front of your eyes, when you watch this football, you watch this movement, you watch Bernardo dazzling like he does, you can't help but think. Um, probably, as I did the season that City broke away from from the pack, and it was probably about this time of the year that I, th I turned to my son and said. You know, they're going to win the league this year. Now, I know the gap at the moment is only a point or whatever it is, but I get that feeling again. I just get from watching the first half at Villa, the first half at Watford, when they need to do it, they do it. And and obviously at Villa, it was some of the key players were missing. You know, it wasn't even as if, you know, the, the, the strongest 11 was was playing in that game. And I, I'm, I'm just... Uh, convinced, utterly convinced that City will win the league this year. Am I the only one that thinks that? Um, no, you've got a good, you've got a good point, but it's <laughs> safe fans. That that's us, is it? But uh, no, looking at it, I, I'll agree with you there, TJ. I'll go with you that we'll, we'll win the league. But you know, it's um, it's one of them in it where we, we watch it. Even me now, as a, when I go to watch City, I go as, as a fan. And I go as a fan, and and, and, me, and my brother Alf, he'll be there as well, and he'll be like, oh, I'm not sure about today. I'm not sure about today. Just before we've got, we've uh, we've kicked off, you know, and um, that's that, that's in you sometimes. But uh, I think, like you say, the way we're playing, and you know what, with football, I mean, I've been a, a footballer a few times, but with football, and obviously this pandemic that's kicked in and all that, but football makes you makes you smile, especially sitting at the minute and you, you feel part of you feel part of the club. And you, you know, I, I'm smiling at the telly and Bernardo Silva and shouting like that and getting torn off off the wife who's in bed who has to be up at six o'clock in the morning, he's down, <laughs> giving me a rollicking for singing about City. But uh, 
no, it does. It just makes you smile and it gives you gives you pleasure on, on going having a purpose to go go and watch City home or away. And um, I'm re- I'm really happy at the moment. Have you mastered the Ruben Diaz song then? No. I've got a few of the old ones from years ago. Like can't say on the uh, on the podcast. They're gonna get sent off. I'm trying to think. Did you have a song? Did the fans sing a song about you, Mark? I'm not sure. You know, I think they might do because I used to score and I used to run off to the kit actually and do all that stupid dancing. And that's it. When you're a footballer, you didn't plan that. You didn't plan. Oh, I'm gonna score today, so I'm gonna appeal off to the fans and the kit packs. I just, it just, it just, you do it, and then. My mates that I used to go to school with, we'd have mobiles in them days. Like, you'd be like, well, what was all that about? But then the City fans started doing it. I remember scoring away. I think it was when we won 2 1, chips uh, over Ray Clements and that. And um, I, I, I peeled off there, and uh, all the lads on, on Monday gave me a stick about it. But that's the way it is. I don't know if I've asked you this question before, so forgive me if I have, but you know, given how much it meant to you to play for City, have you got certain mementos? Have you kept... I mean, obviously, I know the shirts were different back then. You didn't get four per game and all that. You perhaps get one for the season. But have you kept stuff, anything like that? And I've got Colin Bell's shirt um, that I got when I was when I was a 14-year-old there. Uh, and he, when you're a... Four, when you're four, in them days, it was you signed schoolboy forms from 14 to 16, and then you got an apprenticeship. Unfortunately, I didn't get an apprenticeship, but... You got to sit on the bench next to the dugout at Main Road, and I was sat on there. And I know we got his shirt ripped off, and then one of the guys, I think it was Dave Ewing, come down and threw it to me. He said, "Take it to the laundry." So I took it to the laundry, and then they gave it me back. And I went to give it back to Bell, and he said, "No, you can keep it, son." And I've got that. I've got that away. But the Man City shirt when we lost five four at Wembley, I give that away. Um, when I ne- nearly got actually give that away because obviously over the years. You know, things kick into your families. We, we had a, a lot of uh, our family going down with cancer. So I, I give that away for cancer research and that. Um, so, no, um, got a few things, a few of the medals and that. But um, you just, biggest thing was making my debut for Man City, you know, and the worst thing was getting released from there after a year and a bit, um, which baffled me at the time. But, um, that's the, that's the way it is. But um, no, it's it's fantastic being uh, being 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 a footballer. Anybody listening to this can hear it in your voice how much it meant to you, and that, that that's why I call you a legend, Mark. Um, Tony, how do you feel about um, about City's title hopes? Then am I right to be optimistic? You were shaking your head when I was saying all that. Is that just superstition, or do you you really not think it's uh, it's done and dusted yet? No, it's never done and dusted. Until it's mathematically impossible, it's never done and dusted. Um, I said it when we went had that big long unbeaten run, and I think it was Harlan at the time who was saying uh, it's in the bag. This, it's in the bag. This, and I was still going until April, and I think we were one win away from it being mathematically impossible. I was like, nope, don't write us off yet. Typical city can always kick in. So um, yeah, you're far too optimistic for me. I think um, we're only as good as our last last game or next game, so to speak. So. I think come is it Wolves on Saturday, uh, we'll see how we play. And yeah, I'm always nervous for that next game. And I think it's ingrained in a lot of City fans. We see it at the atmosphere as a ground where we could be dominating teams. But as soon as they get the ball, the, the ground kind of goes silent. And <laughs> those nerves always automatically kick in. Of, are they going to nick it by one goal here? What's going to happen? So, 
yeah, you're far too optimistic for me. But, you know, it takes all sorts and uh, I'll keep the pessimism and you can keep the optimism. <laughs> I mean, I, I talked to a couple of younger fans. After I'd spoke to the father and son on the vlog, I talked to a couple of younger fans outside the ground and I thought 19 and 20, I think they were. And I thought they might give me a different response here. The irony was, you've got to watch the vlog, but um, the irony was that they seemed to think that it was part of City's DNA, uh, you know, to... To, even if you're a youngster, even if you're watching this great team week in, winning week in, week out, going to Old Trafford and going there with confidence and winning, which is so strange for me as a as an older fan to have that feeling, but I, I do have that feeling now. Uh, but they were the same. Um, on the purpose, For the purposes of this pod, you're our young member then, Amy. Um, I don't know if you think of yourself as, as young or not, but um, you are for our purposes. So is it different? Uh, do, you, do you know, well, let, let's put it this way. Do you notice younger fans with a different attitude around you or is it something that's passed from parent to, to child and, and, you know, you, you must always expect the unexpected and typical city? Obviously, like, my, I've become a City fan because of my dad. So my dad used to obviously go to Main Road and stuff. And he took, I can't remember the game because I've drunk since then. But I was three when I went to my first ever game. And the only thing I ever remember was obviously because my dad had to take me. He had to take me in the men's toilets. And that's the only thing I can remember is how disgusting the men's toilets were at Main Road. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation before you carry on, Amy, I've got to tell you this. Yesterday I'm stood in the away end and uh, a, a guy called Eddie... Uh, who a lot of people know who runs the uh, MCFC Memorial uh, Facebook page, uh, Ebony Sparrow, great, great bloke. Um, and I, I don't think I'd be um, speaking out of turn when he told me this. Half time, he come wandering past me, he's on my roll. And then he came back a few minutes later and I said, you're all right, Eddie? And he said, oh yeah, great, great performance. He said, but he said, I can't go to them toilets down there. They absolute stink. They're absolutely awful. I cannot possibly use them toilets. And then, and then with this pained expression on his face, went back to his seat again. So I just thought I'll throw that one in while you're telling me that story, Amy, but you carry on. Yeah, so obviously like the thing, and, and it pains me that I can't remember what the match was, but I just genuinely can't, because obviously over time you just forget things. Um, but yeah, so like I've got a picture of me, I must have been about two, I think, something like that, and I've got my dad's city hat and city scarf on and um and I used to wear that all like all the time and then they bought me my first I think my dad got me my first shirt and it was the maroon maroon city the away shirt and uh, as I said before I wore that if it weren't that it was a take that shirt all the way through the like the 90s and I got the mick taken out of me something rotten at school like literally something rotten I think in my class there was about four city fans, if that, if if that, um, and like I, I don't know what happened to my brother. I've said before he's a red. I don't know what happened to him, um, but um, yeah, I don't know what happened to him. Um, but yeah, like so, from being little, I've had the thing of like, oh my god, can't believe you've taught city the crap. You know, I, you know, they had all sorts. And now the role's reversed and it's it's so good. Like you go away on holiday and you used to get 
United, as soon as anyone said where you're from, you'd say Manchester. The first thing any foreign person would say to you is United. And they don't anymore. And it's it's like, it's so good to have, to not have to hear that word in your ear when you go on holiday or, because, you know, we're better now and we, we you know, we, we're good now and everyone knows how good we are. And United have got, have gone, they've literally gone. And that that's the, you know, it's it's our time and it's our time to rule the roost. And that's what that's what's good about it. Great story, but you're not answering my question. Sorry. <laughs> people around you the young people or do you think that the young ones who are used to this success you've explained how you know you've been through the whole story which has made you you but there are younger people than you who haven't been through that have they champions league matches i've noticed are are the worst home like home and away matches don't seem to be as bad but champions league ones are are the worst like when i where i sit they seem to put everybody, whether whether the city fans are what the PSG game. There was a PSG fan sat in front of us, and he was getting annoyed that PSG weren't weren't like thing, and he didn't come back upstairs after the after the first half. But there's some kids sat behind me, some teenagers, and I was having to explain like all sorts to him about city, and I think. Why are you here? Do you, do you even watch the games? Do you even like? And that's that's what annoys me now. Is like when we were little, you had it off your dad or your mum, who who whoever they supported, you supported, and that they took you know your grandparents or whatever whoever took you to the football. And I don't think that's in inseeded in people's minds now. They they follow. Oh, who's at the top? Right. Well, I'll support them today. Like there's not. I don't think there's that generation thing anymore like like there used to be. And like that, I think that's what's missing in not all of them, I'm not saying there isn't, but I think that's what's missing is like the the generation thing of like your mum or your dad or your grandparents showing you who, you know, who they supported follows with you. I think it depends. So you were saying you don't know what happened to your brother, and I'm gonna make the assumption that, like you said, it was whoever was at top of the league. Yeah. Um, and it does depends for a lot of people, everyone, obviously, we're all individuals, as we were saying earlier. So, um, if you've had it handed down to you from your parents, your mum, your dad, etc., of the club, and they've drummed into you about what happened when they watched it, their historical games, their favorite games, then you do end up with the fan mentality of potentially that pessimistic city fan of typical city yeah. because you've had that drummed into you from an early age. of don't get your hopes up now. <laughs> we might be 4 nil up, but we can still uh, lose this game kind of thing. Whereas if you're drawn to them for other reasons, then you don't necessarily have that. You might have that optimism, um, but also it could be just your personality, whether you're optimistic or not. But I did notice it at the PhD game when they scored and rather than kind of the fans trying to get, you know, uh, rally the squad and whatever else. There was a section of the fans that just got the phones out and started taking pictures of PSG yeah. celebrating. Yeah. And <laughs> that wound me right up that yeah. game. Um, I, don't, I don't know what happens. At, I don't know what happens. How, it, how I remember being at a cup game and we was playing Everton and um, an Everton fan was sat where we was, because you get moved sometimes for certain cup games. And... This Everton fan was sat, I think, a few, either a few rows behind us or a few rows in front. Everton scored and he stood up, idiot, stood up and cheered. 
he got beaten to a pulp and they had to literally drag security had to drag him out and people were smacking him on the head as he was going up the stairs i just think why would you like if you know you're going to be where you sat you'd just keep quiet wouldn't you like you'd just not even just i just don't understand where where what happens where how they you know like you just keep your mouth shut i think well i would anyway <laughs> When you talk about general, generational City fans, there's no better example than you, Mark, for that. I mean, your dad, you, um, your kids, uh, your grandkids, there can't be a non-blue in your family, can there? No, not really. I mean, I can remember, I've said it before, and I've said it on this, like when you're born, you don't have a choice, you're either blue or red. And obviously, our family were blue. But uh, I, can all, I can remember going to, to, to Main Road, especially, and it was like a day out for you. We ended up, because my nana had um, lived in Longside, so we'd go there for pea and ham soup and, and bread before the game and then um, go to watch the game and come back and she'd put some more food on for us. But um, no, I remember 1969, I think it was, Neil Young scored. Me and my mum went down on the day of the game from Manchester. We were in the Leicester end and uh, all, all the fellas and all the, the uncles and brothers all went down on the Friday so they had a mini weekend there so they had Friday night, Saturday night, come back Sunday and all the mums had to bring the, the kids with them to go to the game but uh, that stuck with me when Neil Young scored that goal and that made my mum jumped up in the, in the Leicester end and everyone's looked round but I think because I was with my mum and I was only about nine um, they let us off so we could have got a bit of a smacking but we didn't I want to finish the podcast off today. By the way, next week, I'm hoping to do a little bit of a theme on a subject which um, I think is interesting. Uh, a friend of mine said to me that there's too much American influence um, on the, the way that the Premier League is going in terms of ownership and the type of ideas that they've got. And it made me think a little bit. And uh, next week, uh, Rodney Marsh, uh, who is based in America these days, former City player, of course, former manager, player, owner of American team, Tampa Bay Rowdies. Well, you want to say that again, Mark? An entertainer. It was fantastic. Oh, that, that's for sure, definitely an entertainer. Uh, verbally as, these days as well. Um, so he's going to join us and we're going to have a, a bit of a discussion about that. So uh, make sure you, you look out for that podcast uh, next week. And if you've got any views that you want to share, um, of course, you know I'm on Twitter. So at Ian Cheeseman, just either private message me or publicly message me your opinions. And I'm, I'm more than happy to, to put that forward. Um, but between now and then, City have games uh, in midweek against Leipzig. Now, I, I'm, a, I'm still a working journalist and I've been doing some work for Sony TV in India and they're Champions League rights holders. So actually, I could go to Leipzig um, on Tuesday and I've paid for my trip. Um, uh, everything's paid for, but I'm not going to go. Um, I've had long and long hard thinking about it, but, but you know, all of the different things that you've got to leap through, the tests and the risks that you take by going, because if I was to come back with... Um, COVID, um, then immediately that, that rules me out of, of, you know, lots of matches and um, it's, it's very widespread at the moment in Germany. So I've decided not to go, which seems strange because basically since the 1970s, every game I've been able to go to, I've gone to. So uh, to actually choose not to go to a game, which, which is what I'm doing, is uh, goes against the grain somewhat. But 
Um, that's the game in midweek. Um, Pep has already indicated that City will play a, more or less an academy team. And thinking that, I don't know whether he'll he'll send Gavin De Bruyne out there to give him some um, some energy in his legs, some game time. But I suspect not. And then, of course, next weekend it's Wolves. So let me just throw that one out about you know is is Pep right to to pick a an academy team, Mark, for for this game? I mean. You don't, you don't want to take, I mean, just as I don't want to take any risks, you, the club, the players, I mean, somebody told me that, you know, the party that travels out to Leipzig will be a lot smaller than normal. Um, you know, and they'll presumably stay tightly within their bubble because of uh, all the restrictions. Would, would he be right to, to keep all his senior players at home, Mark? No, not really. But I don't think it'll be an academy team. I think they'll be giving some players a chance to show what they can do. They've been... Uh, in and around the first team and training with the first team. But I think we'll have uh, some senior players out for sure. But it's great, the pathway at City at the minute for these young players coming through. And when they do come through, when they do get on either as a sub, they look like they know what they're going to do. And, and, and it's, that's because they've been working with Pep every day for, for maybe over a year now, these young players. You know, they don't just come and train with the first team for a day or two. You know, they spend a lot of time with the first team, in and around them, on the pitch, off the pitch. And that's what makes, obviously, Phil Foden's flying at the moment. And uh, some of the other younger players coming through as well, who have took their chances. So I can't say it just being an academy, you know, an academy team going out there. You've got no concerns about Wolves coming to the Etihad next Saturday. I haven't. I'm dead relaxed. I expect City to win. And, and I know that sounds, some people listening to this might think that's arrogance or something. It isn't. It's just me looking at what I'm watching and thinking, you know what, they'll probably win comfortably. Is that how you feel? I want to, uh, come on, Tony, you're the negative one. You really <laughs> expect them to beat Wolves, don't you? It's positive. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, whenever he does that uh, long uh, like that, I know something negative is going to come. <laughs> no, because I couldn't tell you the last time I went into a game thinking we're going to win this. Um, that's just me, my nature. Um, I'm nervous for every game, regardless of whether we've won 6 0 one game, the next game, I still think we can lose. Um, that's my mentality with every game. So, do I think we've got a good chance against Wolves? Yes, because of how we're playing. Do you expect us to win it? No, because I've learned not to have those expectations of City. Will Pep take a EDS squad? No, I agree with Mark. I think it's going to be kind of six and five, um, kind of six senior, five uh, younger lads. Um, and like Mark was saying, I think that's you know how the club and the hierarchy have set the club up from kids to the first team now is we're playing with a mentality and a way through all of the ranks, regardless whether Pep's coaching them or not, the other coaches down the ranks have all got the same style of play of what's expected, so that when they are, do get through to the first team, they know where they need to be, and those decisions are being made because they've done it since six, seven years old. Uh, Wolves, no, um, never confident. So uh, hopefully we'll do it. Same with Leipzig, hopefully we'll do it. But yeah, we'll see. You confident, Amy? No, I'm, I get the same thing here, like, whatever matches, because you just never know. You don't know what happens, like, refs, anything could ruin the party. Like, it just, like, Edison needs to sort himself out and all, like, we need some clean sheets, like, there's just, 
Like, yesterday was just so silly. Like, it's just not an Edison thing to do. Like, I just... I just couldn't believe it. Like it went. I was like, "What just happened there?" Like it's still. It's take it, a lot of a lot of teams watch for our mistake and then they take it. And that's that's where that's where the thing is. Like someone just yeah. There's always someone there to spoil the party. So, ladies and go. gentlemen who are listening to this, uh, you're listening to City fans. They are typical City fans that despite the fact that we probably have the greatest team that has ever represented the club who are playing majestic football, who have won trophy after trophy and seem to me certain to be heading for more trophies this season. You hear that sort of, um, that thing that, that, that I'm sure the hierarchy of City hate, the sort of typical City mentality. We're never going to get rid of that from City fans, are we, Mark? I hope it doesn't actually go, actually. It's part of what the DNA is. I think that's it, the DNA. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about the Wolves game, thinking... Oh, we just lost Mark for a second. I think he's clicked on the uh, the, the mute button. We'll get him back, I'm sure, in a sec. Go on, Mark, carry on again. But, uh, no, it's in our DNA. Obviously, we're playing Wolves and... We'll think some of us will think about Wolves come and turn this over at our place. So um, that will be fine. We'll be all right. <laughs> well, it's been great having the three of you on the, on the podcast. Really appreciate it, Mark. Um, I, I accept the, the the humble nature of your answer at the beginning of the podcast, but I will say again, as far as I'm concerned, you are a Manchester City legend and always will be. Thank so you. thanks Thank very you. much for your time. Um, and in terms of uh, Tony stepping in at the last minute, uh, you won't know this, but um, he, he came in like a, on a night on a white charger when we needed somebody to join the podcast today and he doesn't let me down. He never does. So thanks very much to Tony. Well done, uh, the, Tony. The, the, Amy is the Ian Brightwell of the team. She can play in any position um, <laughs> at any time. So thanks very much, Amy. Really I play Amy in the middle of the park. She's in the middle of kicking everyone. <laughs> and then when she, when she gets the ball, she gives it to one of our players. Yeah, yeah well, she's, she's sweet, sweet and innocent ear over here. Yeah, the self-confessed bulldog of the team. So there you go. Because um, I'm little. I'm only little. <laughs> I can attest to that. I have actually here now met Amy in person, and she is only little. So uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks very much for listening. As always, uh, don't forget to share, to retweet, to subscribe. It's free, thanks to charleslewy.co.uk. Without them, um, then it, 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 A, it might not exist, and B, um, it, I might have to do a different system, and I, I want it to be free to everybody, uh, especially to City fans. So thanks very much for your support, um, and don't forget to have a look at that vlog, which actually at Watford, by meeting those two people, as we were having a little bit of, um, of a burrito before the game, um, it, they inspired me to to talk about the DNA of City and uh, and it was a great perspective, a father and son. Have a, have a look at it and, and see, see who else is on there. So thanks very much for you for listening. Thanks to, to the three of you for contributing. We'll do it all again next week when we'll have a bit of an American theme um, and we'll discuss the American influence on the Premier League. So have a great week. Enjoy the games. And remember, it's great to be a Blue. <laughs>